If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And joining me, a very special guest. Uh, I'm already messing up. Renee Gittens. How are you doing, Renee? Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for talking with me today. Hi, Renee. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where our guests such as yourself introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers out there of where you're from where you are where you're heading yeah um so i am the executive director of the international game developers association the igda i'm also an indie developer i run a company called stumbling cat currently i live in baltimore maryland though i'm from seattle washington but with game development i've traveled all over the place all right. So this is a very special episode. I kind of brought you on because of the recent events, right? Um, obviously, everyone's kind of quarantined in our homes right now. And uh, people might think that this is kind of like not much of a slight change to the game developers, especially indie game developers. But it is quite making quite an impact to us out there with a uh, game developer conference just recently canceled. Well, I mean over three weeks ago and uh, major events like E3 and pretty much future events for the rest of the year. Uh, in my own opinion, I'm, I'm very hesitant to even think GDC is going to be rescheduled for August. It's kind of like waiting. Even um, other major events outside the game industry, like the Olympics have been postponed. Uh, can you kind of talk about what the landscape is looking at uh, like right now with all this happening? Yeah, definitely. This is certainly in strange time for the entire world and especially for the game development industry. While with quarantines, there are more people playing games, it's had a really negative impact on people who are pre-launch, uh, particularly people who are looking for funding and networking connections. GDC and E3 are really important events for game developers, especially those who are currently looking for publishers or funding. And that puts them in a really hard financial place to not be able to go to those conferences and make those connections in person. Additionally, many developers who are indie or just getting the start in their careers invested a lot of finances in attempting to attend GDC. With GDC's postponement, Unfortunately, there's many non-refundable tickets and hotel reservations, which is negatively impacting those developers who invested that financial um, amount into those uh, into attending GDC and now see that as a loss. And they might not have the finances to attend another event or to make up for it. 
So what are the uh, methods that are you seeing like these game developers kind of grasping with this sudden situation? Um, like you mentioned, a lot of these games are looking to release this year or the near future, but these events are kind of parting their marketing efforts and they put a lot of money, like you said, and funding into these events. And therefore, uh, they are at the biggest loss and are kind of taking quite a hit. So what, what kind of ways are they coping with this situation right now? Well, we're really seeing our community come together. The IGDA has partnered with GameDev.World to assist with their fundraising. They're working with Wings to provide financial relief for developers who've been affected financially by the COVID-19 pandemic. So they are doing a online event. They're doing a itch.io bundle and they're doing other fundraising um, to try to get funds to help make up for the financial loss and burden that this has been for various developers. Additionally, the IGDA has been working on providing a lot of resources to support the community. While we have our Discord with over 1,300 active members that can help provide community and a place to talk for those who are trapped within their homes, we also have been putting together resources such as information from uh, the World Health Organization, from local governments, uh, different types of funding and other financial relief opportunities, both within the U.S. and other places in the world. And we've put together our own recommendations for how to work from home uh, in a way that best supports your career and your mental health. That's awesome. Um, Besides that, too, in addition to that, uh, there were some talks, at least, before GDC got canceled, how game developers were still kind of thinking of gathering. I think as the situation gotten worse, as it was leading up to the week of GDC, that people were slowly realizing, yeah, this isn't business as usual. We can't just still show up. Uh, do you know a little bit more detail about what did people even bother going at all uh, as the week was coming close? Or did they just all write? let's just cancel the whole thing and let's not even meet up because, you know, the whole city was quarantined by the time. Uh, there were um, various plans to gather at, within San Francisco, despite GDC's cancellation. However, as the situation escalated, those started canceling themselves. Uh, I heard at least one person say that, Five developers gathered together uh, at one hotel in San Francisco, but certainly there weren't any large gatherings, not that I was aware of, um, that occurred during the week of GDC. Advantages are you seeing, as you were mentioning, like Steam charts are, are shooting up. There's a lot of people that turn into video games and entertainment, such as Netflix, usually in recession times where they're especially at home a lot. What kind of advantages are you seeing with any developers looking at innovative ways to kind of get their games in front of people now that everyone's at home, but they're mostly relying on Internet resources, uh, the, the age old <laughs> marketing plan? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, certainly marketing these days is very different than it used to be. Uh, a lot of it is very influencer-based versus um, printed and digital ads. However, I've seen a lot of indie developers coming together, not only to try to market their game more, but to try to provide relief for people who are quarantined. So I've actually seen a lot of developers doing the maximum discounts they can on their Steam games and on other platforms, just trying to make sure that all the people who need games to help bide their time have access to them. Additionally, I think we really see the value of a lot of indie games in a situation like this. For example, Kind Words, which came out this last year, was remarkably popular because it shows how to provide empathy and kindness to other people. And I think in these times, that's something we really need. Yeah, most certainly. Um, you're talking about a couple of events that you guys are helping out with uh, GameDev.World, a lot of relief efforts, a lot of community coming together, which is um, the bright side of this uh, side of the story where, where everything seems to be coming. Uh, well, a, a time of uncertainty, right? Uh, yeah. where, where do you foresee for the rest of the year? I mean, people who are kind of more up to date to the news and kind of seeing how other countries are kind of dealing with it, or at least at the tail end of things. Uh, it feels like the rest of the year is done. Like we're, we're just going to be hunkered down and, and this is, this is 2020 uh, for, for everybody. Um, do, do you see yeah, the impact of it really extending beyond 2020? Because it's, does it feel like business is going to be as usual after everyone recovers? Um, I think that there will certainly be impacts of this lasting beyond 2020, um, regardless of how long the quarantines and outbreak occur. And I think that's mostly because right now we're seeing a huge shift in technology and a lot more people working remotely. Um, as someone who has worked remotely for four and a half years of the last eight. It's something that I'm very familiar with and I'm very familiar with the social effects of that. I think that we'll see more people and more companies supporting remote work and remote workers. And because of that, we'll see those remote workers desiring more online communication. So I think we'll actually be seeing a growth, a continued growth of online games, especially ones that support communities that really can collaborate and work together. Uh, it would not surprise me, in fact, if we saw uh, MMOs becoming much more popular in the next few years. It definitely seems that way. People are uh, kind of snatching up Assassin's Creed and, Games that extends a lot of playing time in the last few uh, couple weeks. And um, what, what's interesting is that uh, a few, about a month ago, we were kind of discussing on the podcast about the, um, the California AB5, uh, which is a bill that was passed recently in this state, uh, how it was affecting right. contractors um, everywhere. And, um, and then shortly after this, this virus kind of spread and it's really forcing uh, companies to kind of look outside of physical um, work environments. Right. And uh, how do you feel that, um, that this is going to be the pros and cons of this effect of forcing remote work 
and removing the stigma with remote work, but also looking outside of the physical area of a, of a company for, for talent and uh, extending that talent beyond the, 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 the project's deadlines and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think even outside of game dev, uh, the advancement of remote work is going to be really good for technology overall um, because more people will be working remotely. We'll see uh, even a bigger push for having strong uh, high data internet connections. And that is clearly beneficial to games as games tend to be the things that um, make the highest demand of those internet connections, at least on a regular basis. For studios, um, I think a lot of studios have generally been comfortable with outsourcing, but we're potentially going to see a rise in that, especially as remote work rises. Uh, That can be both positive and negative. It certainly gives a lot of opportunities to people all over the world, but it does mean that local laws can be, um, I guess, skirted is is probably a a word that could be used. So for example, with uh, AB5, it would be potential, uh, it would potentially encourage people to hire remote workers outside of California instead of within it. However, I think it's important to note in cases like AB5, while there were a lot of questionable parts and vagueness within that law, a lot of the biggest concerns were actually already covered by laws that were uh, active within California. It's just that not all employers were already respecting them. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the biggest discussion we, because we had a, you know, our, our uh, our local um, lawyer consultant <laughs> kind of come on to talk about AB5 and uh, the impacts of that. And naturally, um, he gave a, a short-term and long-term um, idea of what it could look like uh, affecting game developers where, you know, it, in a good way, it could really help contractors not be taken advantage of, right? Uh, and in the short term, there are a lot of, issues that can be skirted around like you said uh and then this with this rise of remote work uh everyone's at home anyways it it makes no difference if you're californian or or not as long as you have the talent which opens a lot of opportunities for people outside the country um kind of work with these big game developers where they used to be very um nda protective of their property as they should um, but that also leads to uh, another thing that I, I've been reading more about. Um, when we naturally think about game developers, we think about uh, the art resource, technical resource uh, that makes up a team. But then there's a huge department that helps really ship a game, like the QA department, shipping and products. And these guys are not really getting the f- type of fair remote transition. And some companies within the United States are are still forcing them to kind of come in because they simply do not trust uh, these guys to kind of bring home the the intellectual property and and continue playtesting. Is there any news on on how that's developing? Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely saw a report that some QA houses were requiring that their workers still come in physically to their office. And I think that is definitely a health risk. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's something that the IGDA definitely discourages. We encourage listening to your local government and their regulations. And I think that we will see local governments responding um, to to companies forcing their workers to come in for unsafe conditions for um, non-critical tasks, um, non-society critical tasks. I think that there are definitely some technical challenges that I can understand. Um, you know, when you are doing QA testing, uh, you are sometimes really limited on the devices you can use, you know, especially if we're looking at the next generation of consoles. Uh, those dev consoles can be very expensive and there might not be, you know, one per QA person. Um, but I think that it is the responsibility of those companies to work around and to find solutions because there are many other QA firms who have found ways to support their staff uh, while still supporting their customers and making sure that everyone stays safe. Exactly. Um, another question I do have uh, when it comes to this, um, I feel like indie developers have a better time with development because they're more used to remote work and communication through resources online made available. Uh, but they have the marketing challenges, right? Without these events, without uh, the physical presence of these events. On the flip side, AAA developers, I feel, have all the marketing efforts uh, already figured out, but it's the development that is an issue because a lot of AAA developers aren't used to remote work. Uh, it's been kind of taboo. So what, what are you seeing from that um, From that, with the result of what's happening? Uh, do you foresee a lot of games being pushed back on deadlines? Because telling 300 people that used to be in an office shoulder to shoulder together, now working separately and kind of putting the responsibility on them. We're already seeing, not just within our industries, how people are kind of looping their Zoom <laughs> video conference to kind of stay attentive. Right. So there's a lot of shortcuts to kind of make it feel, but there's no way that suddenly everyone's going to be so efficient and, and um, games are going to be shipped on this on time, along with all the challenges with QA testing and all the other departments kind of not being able to kind of smoothly transition. Uh, how do you right. see this being effective um, for 2020? I definitely think we're going to see a lot of game delays. Uh, it's just really difficult to do this development transition, especially for AAA companies that were working in an office to then go fully remotely. And it's not just the difficulty of working from home um, in terms of self-management of time, but uh, for example, a lot of studios, especially AAA studios, need to uh, VPN from their home computers into their uh, work network in order to do development, especially if they're doing console development. And unless they have a VPN network that was already set up to manage their entire staff, they're going to be running into technical issues there. And in fact, I 
had been talking with a AAA studio that was running into exactly those troubles. They were not prepared to suddenly have their entire staff hitting their VPN um, from home. So they were scrambling to get their IT to expand uh, the bandwidth of that. Additionally, even though there's difficulties of working from home, especially with kids being home and finding, you know, time to focus, making sure you're separating your work time from your home time, we have to note that this is an extremely stressful situation, even for those not working from uh, home or whose lives are fairly unaffected like my own. There is you know, so much going on in our society. You know, all these things are changing. We're worried about our friends and family and their health. And all of those little stresses um, come together and affect the mental health of everyone, including game developers. So I think that it's not reasonable to expect people to still be game giving their 100% because their 100% really is just not going to be the same level it was when they were in their normal groove of things, when, you know, society wasn't burning down around us. Um, So, yeah, I think we're definitely going to see a lot of delays. The IGDA is actually also partnering with Take This. Uh, Take This is a mental health advocacy organization that provides mental health support to gamers and game developers. And we're going to be publishing a lot of uh, documentation and resources together, as well as doing a webinar series to help prepare both game developers and studio heads for managing um, their teams working from home from managing their own mental health and self-care during this time, and to make sure that they're supported in both their careers and their lives as they go forward through this turbulent time. Yeah, and speaking on that turbulent time, and I'm kind of a victim to this as well, you throw kids in the mix where all schools are kind of closed everywhere, and suddenly having to be self-efficient with kids running around in the background, it, it definitely takes a toll on your efficiency and concentration. Uh, and, and being able to not be distracted by everything. Uh, so the game industry has always been like faced with these challenges of delays. And what delays also means is just this impending doom of crunching, right? Uh, it's, I don't know. This is a first yeah. time where remote <laughs> workers are, are told to crunch. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's healthier at home, but I have no idea. Um, can can our industry handle these multiple months of delay in shipping these games uh, where before it felt like we went through trials of um, questionable trials to kind of push our game out there. Now we're kind of faced with, well, every industry is facing this at a loss. Um, Thankfully, I don't feel like our industry is in a position like other industries where there's a lot of unemployment that's happening. Um, More than ever, digital goods are on a rise. So uh, how, how, what are your thoughts about what this possible future of these game delays? What does that exactly mean for game developers? Are we going to be negatively affected uh, in our usual way of handling things or not? Um, I think that you're going to see, as I noted before, a lot of games which are already shipped being very successful. And I can only hope that publishers and um, 
the other people who are making profits off of these game successes are willing to invest it back into the game industry and help the developers who are pre-launch and who will be struggling during this time with those delays and with those um, lack of funding. It's hard to say exactly what will happen. Uh, a lot of this depends on how different governments are going to support the industries that are affected by this. I mean, even if you know most of the game development team can continue working, it will you know cause delays. It will cause financial burdens. I think that the game industry is still going to go forward strong and recover from this. But I think this is a time where we really need to support each other. So I think um, it's really on you know publishers to make sure that they are being flexible with milestone deadlines in times like this. Uh, and it's on studios and game developers to just try their best to push forward. Now, when it comes to crunch in particular, I think that crunch anytime is really negative. Now, there is, you know, pushing really hard for two weeks, perhaps doing some extra hours to meet a deadline. And then there's months and months of working 60 plus hour weeks. And that's just not tenable. That's not something that supports the game industry or good mental health or quality of games or even those workers. When you get in situations like that, I think that studio heads and management re really need to reassess and look at changing the approach of their products or even the scope of their products to make sure that they're supporting their team as much as they're trying to support the product itself. Uh, I wonder if you can entertain this, uh, this myth, right? How the game industry is recession proof, right? Um, of course, the 20, uh, 2008, which is at least before my time, right? I, I think I entered an industry that year, actually, where the housing crisis happened. And that was the only recent thing that our industry has faced a similar issue where there was economic downturn. Uh, I'm looking at that. I don't know if you have any information about or at least your thoughts. Like, how did we it's a different time. It's only 10 years apart. We're way more online than 10 years ago. Uh, digital marketplaces, I think, was only beginning. And we're, we're completely most of our revenue comes from digital storefronts now. We're in a better place to kind of take on this kind of challenge. Uh, I wonder if you kind of give your your uh, your thoughts and analysis about why we're different from 10 years. Are we better off than 10 years ago? Are we actually recession proof? Is that a, a myth that everyone keeps throwing around to make ourselves feel better? Are, are we set up for something like this um, that we're going to be OK? Uh, any any opinions would be uh, greatly appreciated. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think any industry is necessarily recession-proof, uh, especially depending on the cause of the recession. Uh, however, yes, games tend to be insulated against recessions because people turn to entertainment and distractions when they're going through difficult times. And games themselves happen to be uh, very immersive and a very good escape when uh, things are not going quite as you'd like them to in your life. 
Now, when it comes to this particular situation, I think that in general, yes, the game industry is going to do quite well um, because of these quarantines, uh, because of this social distancing and social isolation. People are going to be turning to games not only to distract themselves, but to connect with other people. So I think that we'll see the game industry overall coming out quite strong, even if some companies are put in difficult positions and situations um, because they're pre-ship. I mean, that's good. <laughs> I mean, we are seeing those kind of uh, examples all over the industry right now. Um, a lot of developers who have shipped games are enjoying the the quarantine, the forced quarantine Um you know, streaming from all accounts, uh, Netflix, gaming, uh, Steam, everyone's just spending that time to self-isolate from the isolation uh, with their families, right? We do need that time <laughs> apart, especially uh, uh, countries that, that have um, lesser space, right? Um, kind of just talking about the overview of, of uh, what's happening Um are there any data outside of the United States that you guys are aware of that um, is contrasting what we're, we're experiencing now? Are, are people coming out of this phase that you feel like uh, you can kind of point at the United States? We're probably going to be there uh, in a couple months that are that are a little that are faring a little bit better than us um, based on where their location. Is. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly we've seen. Um, in some countries who've enforced uh, really significant lockdowns, um, finally sort of decreasing the amount of people who are being identified as infected with COVID-19. Um, it seems that a lot of Western countries have not taken the same precautions as of yet. Now, perhaps that's because they expect that um, with more, uh, for example, just less density of population within the United States um, than in other places that we might have um, some innate advantages there. But it's, you know, it's really hard uh, for me to say I'm not a specialist when it comes to infectious diseases. And so I am really just looking to the CDC and the World Health Organization to see what their predictions and recommendations are. So we're starting to see a shift from all parts of um, game development right now, right? Uh, we're talking about initially how the conventions are kind of being pushed back. Uh, I'll be surprised to even see GDC happening in the summer of August. It seems like it's going to fall really close to when we're actually going to see some progress, right? And uh 2020, if anything, it's going to be kind of scarce. Game developers, as we were mentioning, are, are, are just coping with how to remote work, or at least, uh, like we said, indie developers are kind of coping with how to be creative with their marketing efforts. Uh, do you see other companies um, like Steam? Steam's kind of doing like their front storefront um, for indie games, uh, where they're kind of just letting... 40 premiere titles, uh, demos, right. To kind of give some light to their situation. Uh, do you see other efforts like that, 
that are happening that is worth mentioning right now to kind of highlight any titles that that are not really um, having that opportunity anymore? Um, well, I know that there is that itch.io bundle that uh, GameDev.World and Wings are working on to support other indie developers. I mean, that's always a great way to find uh, new indie games and to sort of breathe life into indie games that have already shipped. I am not quite as aware of other situations and um, and other uh other marketing opportunities and other ways that indie games are getting out there right now. Um, admittedly, I've been pretty nose down in creating resources for game developers and trying to provide more individual um, support. Mm-hmm. And that individual support is actually something we can definitely expand on. Something the last year we've been um, having a lot of people on. Um, we had Jason War on talking about the indie apocalypse. Uh, the, I mean, more than ever we're we're super saturated with indie games and so it's less scary if you think of it as we're more uh dependent on ourselves uh more than ever than other digital storefronts or other third parties to kind of promote our own brand or whatever uh it feels like more than ever now we're kind of forced into this thinking it's like well you're on your own it like it's always been and if you master that you're going to be able to overcome any challenges that throw your way anyways, if you're good at promoting brand or talking about your product or you really putting yourselves first instead of uh, hoping someone else will come in and talk about your game as passionately as you are. So we can talk about at least some of those lessons that you feel uh, in the last couple years have always been helpful for game developers to remember like, Hey, despite of what the situation is, this is, these are tried and true methods that really helps promote yourself and your brand uh, without really depending on other factors. Right. Um, I guess what, what my belief is when it comes to marketing and promoting yourself and your brand is making connections um, making connections with the in, within the industry, making connections outside of the industry, fostering passionate fans, all of those connections are so very important. Um, I actually ran a successful Kickstarter for my own uh, game development project, Potions, A Curious Tale. And this was in 2016, um, sort of after the Kickstarter heyday for video games, when people were much more uh, selective about the games that they were backing and where I think only 8% of games actually got funded. And the approach that I took during that time was prior to launching my Kickstarter, I went to every single game development event that I could. And I took every speaking opportunity that I could. And I wrote articles whenever I could. And I really put myself forward there, um, not only putting forward my game, but putting forward myself, putting forward my story. And in fact, the first types of press coverage that I got Uh, for my game was focused on my story as a a female game developer making a game featuring a young female protagonist. Uh, So 
when the Kickstarter finally came around, I had actually done over a year of research into how to craft a Kickstarter, um, the best rewards, um, you know, how to avoid having uh, physical awards at low tiers and then running out of money because you're spending all of them on shipping rewards. Um, and I really focused on activating my network of connections. I had made so many friends within the indie development scene and the game development scene in general that when that Kickstarter finally launched, they were all helping me really put forward that information, put forward my Kickstarter, and it helped me get funded. That's fantastic. Um, it's super impressive because Kickstarter, like you said, have been different lately. It's just another reason. <laughs> yeah. And uh, more than ever now, uh, no one really mentions Kickstarter. It's just a, it's just a funnel now for, for your own audience to go to kind of finance. Um, my follow-up question would be, well, two questions, right? Um, I would love to kind of hear, I always like talking to indie developers or developers uh, that are promoting themselves, what their typical day looks like in terms of the balance, right? Because any developer, if anything, is comprised of a very small team of doing very specific things uh, to make sure that the project gets through, right? But at the same time, you're taking on a lot of roles to fill uh, to make sure that when you are making the noise that there's going to be people there to actually hear it and, and buy into it. Right. Um, right. What's the, yeah. What's the balancing percentage there in terms of um, branding promotion and, and, and developing the game itself? Because a, a day it feels like you're doing five people's worth of work with one person's ability, <laughs> uh, which can sound very, so um, sound like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the best marketing advice I've ever received isn't as much on how to market. It's when you market, you need to have something actionable. So while building your brand is important, you have to build your brand and direct those people who are interested towards a purpose. So at first it was, hey, sign up for our email list. And then it was, you know, hey, subscribe to our Kickstarter. And then I was like, hey, back our Kickstarter. And right now, um, pre-launch, uh, our focus isn't as much on marketing because there isn't an action. Uh, we're actually about to ship our alpha. And while we're going to be marketing our alpha and talking about it to our Kickstarter backers, it's really not until we're getting into the beta that we're going to start pushing marketing hard towards the general public. Because once the beta is, is um, live, it'll be a lot easier to push people to sign up, um, you know, put the game on wishlist on Steam or um, be more prepared for immediate updates on how to purchase the game or pre-purchase the game or um, even um, support us in some other way. You know, we're potentially looking at creating swag or plushies or something. And it is this kind of um, evaluation of balance that I think is important instead of you know, pushing marketing the entire development time that doesn't necessarily work 
but I recommend keeping fans informed. You know, so we still do Kickstarter updates. Um, we still let people know what's going on. We still share teasers. We just, you know, released a new song. Now, when it comes to the balance of development, I do think that is very interesting uh, for indie game developers because they wear so many hats. Uh, on my own team, <laughs> hi Chica. On my own team, I do all of the design, programming, and then the management and business management and marketing. And then I have uh, teammates, uh, contractors who do art uh, and audio and assist me with writing. And it means that I have a lot on my plate, um, especially because my game is a very system heavy game with a lot of custom scripted bosses, enemies and spells. So it's a very content heavy game, which means there's so much programming in there. Um, when I was working on potions full time, I probably spent 70 to 80% of my day just doing straight coding. Um, and then the rest of it was a balance between management, marketing, um, and design work, uh, depending on what was needed at the time. These days, however, uh, as I am the executive director of the IGDA, I work for the IGDA um, from about 8.30 to 9 to five to six is my goal. Sometimes it ends up being later, but I try not to crunch too. Um, and then after that, I try to put in uh, at least two hours or so on potions. Uh, however, it's mostly during the weekend that I sort of get in and can get some you know, really good code uh, in there because as most programmers know, um, it's hard to sit down and build out a big system in just an hour or two. It's much easier when you can fully immerse yourself in that kind of thinking. So I want to kind of dig into your, your more of your backstory there. Um, was uh, game development have always been your, your goal? Uh, has it been something you've been training since college or before college? Uh, when did you know that you wanted to get into this industry? Yeah, um, so this story is actually why I, I started supporting the IGDA. I have been a gamer my entire life. Um, I think it was about four years old, four or five. It was in 1994, 1995, where um, my dad got Wolfenstein 3D. And I sat next to him and watched him play Wolfenstein 3D and then Doom and then Duke Nukem 3D. And then I finally got Pokemon Yellow, but then we started playing Half-Life together. Uh, so I actually, I started out really young and almost purely on first-person shooters, uh, which is definitely not the background that most people my, um, my age have. Um, I didn't even get a Nintendo console until I was like 12. Um, However, despite being really, really into games and math being my favorite subject, I didn't know that game development was an option for me. I knew nothing about what the creation of games was like, and I didn't even think that it was a viable or potential career path. Um, 
And it wasn't until college, it wasn't until college that I even understood I liked programming. Uh, I had considered changing my major uh, my freshman year from engineering. Actually, I got my degree in engineering to computer science. But at the time, I was I was at a very competitive school where like 70% of the people were salutatorians or valedictorians, um, and most of them went to private schools. Uh, and all of the CS majors had been programmers in high school. <laughs> and I thought that maybe I was behind on the ball on that. Uh, maybe I wouldn't like sitting in front of a computer all day. You know, I really liked working in the shop and helping make prototypes on the engineering side. Uh, so I decided not to change my major. Then my senior year of college, I actually made a lot of friends within the game industry. And at that point, I finally realized that game development was something that I could do and that I could do for a living. Um, unfortunately, it was my senior year. So I actually graduated as an engineering major with a focus in mechanical engineering and project management. And I took two programming classes my entire college career, one my freshman year, one my senior year. Um, so outside of those, I'm a self-taught programmer. Um, I graduated from college and I started working in biotech. Uh, I worked as an industrial design engineer and then as a system and design engineer. And while I was working as a system design engineer, I started... I started learning programming on the side. So I actually start with JavaScript. Um, and then I was luckily given the opportunity to design small games to judge the cognitive ability of children who might get concussions. So they were pattern matching games, like click the blue butterfly kind of games. And it really ignited that passion and showed me that, yes, I could do game development. So after I left that role, that's when I dived really full time into getting into the game industry. Prior to that, uh, I had actually been volunteering and working at various indie studios, uh, both as a producer and as a back-end server developer. But when I started on my own, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I could do programming, but I didn't know if I perhaps wanted to be a designer. And that's when I started just trying to design some games on paper. And one of those game ideas actually ended up becoming Potion's Curious Tale. It's a very inspiring story. I think a lot of listeners who are game developers and a lot of students don't realize as often is that we're still an industry that is talent first. So depending, no matter where your background is, as long as you have the passion and the talent, uh, you're going to find a job or a place in the yeah. industry to prosper. Uh, that kind of leads me up to a follow up with all these kids sitting around at home now. Uh, what recommendations, apps, resources that you have for, for children to kind of get started in programming? And I think a lot of parents out there would appreciate this just to kind of put them in front of an iPad or something and be like, be part of the future. Yes. There are so many um, wonderful opportunities to teach yourself programming. Um, I personally like uh, Code Academy. That's what I learned on. It's a little more on the technical side and you can go really quickly. Um, I'm someone who just sort of wants to 
to attack it. Um, there are some really great games though, where you put um, programming, like you do simple scripting code in order to fight enemies. And I am a huge fan of education games. Um, I love math, blast, math blasters and like geometry mystery mansion or whatever it was uh, when I was a kid. And definitely they helped give me my love of math. So I would definitely look into those code teaching games. Unfortunately, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. And then for, um, for kids who are looking into making games, there's a lot of really great resources out there. Um, there's RPG Maker, there's Game Maker. You know, if you're a little more advanced, you can even try doing Unreal Engine and Unity games. And these days, there's so many tutorials, there's so many resources, and there's so many communities that you can find support. If you want to join the IGDA community and get help, we have an advice channel, and you can meet some really wonderful people who will help you find your way and point you to the resources that you need. Fantastic. Uh, we are nearing the end of the hour podcast and my, my video is kind of stuck. So I'm going to switch it back to you. <laughs> uh, th this is a new segment that we're trying at the end uh, where we have mm -hmm. listeners and viewers kind of email in advice uh, or suggestions for advice or asking for advice. Uh, so okay. I'm going ahead and I'm going to read this. And this is from uh, Corey. I'll leave his last name. I don't know if he wants to be completely uh, ousted. So uh, the subject is need advice. So he's asking, hello, I've been a listener of the podcast since started uh, and have sent you a message before last year. Recently, I've been thinking of going to school at Full Sail, move up from my solo indie dev and try to get into a bigger studio. But I find that my parents and other family and friends don't support the idea, uh, deja vu, and are trying to tell me to go for something else. And I need some advice on it. Do I ignore them and follow my passion or not and be just another minimum wage employee at a dead end job that I hate? As that is how I support myself now. The hardest part about Full Sail is that I was homeschooled, so my parents have to get my transcripts and I'm afraid they won't get them if I keep wanting to go to the school I want for the job that I want. So I'll, I'll go ahead and let you um, handle that one first and I'll follow up. Yeah. So Full Sail is definitely a really great school and it will set you up well for a career within the game development industry. But it's possible to go to a traditional school or to even not go to school at all and still get into the game industry. If you're looking to be a designer or a programmer within the game industry, I'd highly recommend getting a CS degree. And you can get that at Full Sail or a local college or Stanford. You can go anywhere and that degree will treat you well. If you're even looking at being a tech artist, the CS degree would be great too. If you are looking um, to be an artist or a sound designer or a composer, I would look at colleges that support that. I mean, obviously Full Sail does, but uh, potentially you could go to a different place if uh, Full Sail's expenses or your parents are really against it. 
the most important thing is to just look at what your resources are, look at how much debt you might have to take on and to take it one step at a time. What is more important than any degree is a portfolio, a good attitude and proof that you will teach yourself and you'll always be constantly improving. I think that if you go to any AAA company and you can show them a strong portfolio and a mastery of the skills and knowledge needed, they aren't going to care where you got your degree from, even if you have a degree. Okay. Well, there you go, Corey. I completely sign off on that. Uh, we're <laughs> just look at the end game, right? So if a, a studio doesn't care where you're from and just care about your portfolio, there's a lot of ways to get to that. And uh, like Renee said, explore the options that are best for you. And uh, if you need that setting, which is the advantages of being at a physical school, uh, to be around colleagues that constantly push you, to motivate you, uh, people thrive better around those settings. Others are fine with online resources and are self-motivators. And at least in my own experience, uh, those guys are the scarier ones uh, that are able to kind of <laughs> learn on their own and then continue like Renee here and extend beyond the physical uh, workplace and uh, really push their knowledge uh, the farthest that they want to go. Uh, yeah, I've seen, at least in my experience, uh, those people who wear multiple hats, can do multiple things and never stop learning are the ones that are usually self-taught. And uh, it's worth, I think, Testing that a bit, uh, give it a few months, try that method, try that path to see how you fare uh, before, you know, thinking about taking on debt and, and taking on that type of responsibility and, and quitting midway. Because I, I've been through those type of schools and the percentages that have actually gotten jobs after those are mostly due to the students not being serious about it. I, I won't even put the blame on the schools themselves. It's just the students didn't take it seriously enough and just figure that out too late. Right. And so at least if you try to do it on your self-learning path, uh, you at least come out of it uh, a little bit more, more, uh, more money in your pocket, which is, I think the goal uh, <laughs> every day that you should go for just at least give it a few months, a self-starter path. And if it's not working out because you're finding yourself getting lonely, well, I mean, right now you have no choice. There are no physical schools that are taking you right now. <laughs> so I think it's the perfect time in the next three, four months to kind of try this out uh, before doing anything else. Um, I do want to ask, Renee, uh, it, it is a weird time yeah. uh, with um, with gaming and game development and most importantly, Fortnite and all these type of games kind of making game the game industry at the forefront of conversations now. It's not just a geeky, nerdy thing. I mean, the times have changed. I am still surprised that, I guess not too surprised, but I am at least, uh, well, made aware of people, of parents who are still seeing like game profession uh, is not really professional at all. Um, I mean, do you, or do you see this a lot where parents are still not getting it as a serious job? I, have, I mean, what ways have you seen students or, or, or kids kind of combating this, this thought because the parents are playing such an important role in their career decisions? 
Yeah. Um, I've seen, I've seen many of, uh, my peers have parents who didn't fully accept their careers, especially if they started out sort of on the indie route, um, you know, not making as much money, you know, a lot of them do finally come around, but I think especially as games are becoming more and more popular, I mean, the game industry is bigger than Hollywood. Uh, I think that parents will start to figure out that, that having a job in the game industry is a completely legitimate career and a fine career choice and opportunity. Now, uh, if parents are concerned about the stability of the game industry or that uh, programmers get paid less in the game industry than in other tech fields, that's something else. And that's something that the game industry is currently working on fixing. But overall, I think that as time goes on, as we see more games become popular, that um, all of this doubt around game development as a career is going to be a thing in the past. Well, thank you for answering that question, Corey. There you have it. Uh, sleep on that. <laughs> uh, I, I do... I don't want to expand this any further, but I, I kind of want to have a follow-up question to what you're saying. Um, the game industry is a weird entertainment industry because at least compared to movies and other entertainment media, uh, I do feel like the, the amount of people that is needed to kind of ship a project is a lot less comparatively. But the pay gap feels like on average isn't where – I mean, we get paid well, right? We do okay, right? I'm not complaining about that. But – in terms of like, we can do more based on how many people that actually takes to kind of ship a game. Uh, you you kind of mentioning that it is going to improve. It's going to get better. Uh, when? <laughs> I mean, when? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what kind of what kind of factors that needs to be in play for us to kind of see the increase in programmers, especially? I, I feel like um, uh, I have a lot of friends, and I'm sure you have a lot of friends that have spent years in the game industry but because of what's happening in the game industry they they are forced to go to apple they're forced to go to facebook which compensated them really well but we talked to them five months later they are really bored because you know game development is their passion it's what excites them there's are challenges there that you don't see at twitter right so <laughs> so where when when do you think it's going to change what needs to happen for it to change uh to kind of see them as as equals i uh, see you guys as equals rest of us as equals yeah well um i think that probably the the biggest issue when it comes to pay in the game industry is supply and demand uh there are a lot of people especially people who are just starting out their careers who are really passionate about joining the game industry. And there's not always that many opportunities for them to pursue. So I think what's going to happen and what we actually see happening is that game development studios are slowly starting to learn two things. Uh, one is you can't replace years of experience. Um, Having somebody who has five plus years experience within the industry is super valuable. And so studios are realizing that they 
can't crunch their workers as hard because they'll leave, that they do need to pay them more, uh, that they need to make sure that their work-life balance is good so that they can see their families. Uh, and the IGDA runs our developer satisfaction survey on a bi-yearly basis where we look at the age of people in the game industry, uh, their families, their money, and we're seeing really promising signs. We're seeing that game developers are being paid more on average, that game developers are now becoming older on average, that more game developers than ever have families, have children. And we're seeing that uh crunch is going down as well. So I think that it's just really important that we keep repeating, crunch is bad. You want to keep your workers, pay them well, treat them well, because it's really true that that's what's needed for the health of the game industry. And as long as we continue on this path, it's going to be better for everyone, both the game developers and the consumers who are going to be playing games that are built by healthy, happy people, which are going to be more fun, more compelling games. And I think that's the perfect send off uh, for everyone that is kind of sheltered in their homes right now. As long as we ourselves stay healthy and uh, both on the game developer side and the employers and, and keep that as the goal and keep our head, uh, you know, our, our focus ahead and work together, we can totally get past this i mean our industry of anything is getting hit very lightly compared to all the other industries uh I, i'm sure within your own network my network we're starting to hear people just losing their jobs left and right because of the service industry there's no one to service right now and so i mean that's a that's a big thing to be thankful for uh i think uh what you said before is completely true uh, after all this remote working is going to be on the rise people who are already as IT are scrambling wires because they're already uh, overworked right now and, and trying to set everybody up at home, they're not going to totally abandon what they've just done the last this this next three four months. Setting people situated at home, they're not just going to completely abandon that network and be seeing that as a, an extension of their workplace uh, going forward. So that's a very exciting thought uh, that people can finally crunching is bad, but. I think in between no crunching and crunching, there's going to be crunching at home, <laughs> which is something I'm <laughs> excited for. It's like, I'll be okay with that for the time being. I mean, I would love for, for us to not crunch at all, obviously. So uh, I want to thank you, Renee, for, for coming on. And uh, yeah. at, before I, I kind of send pleasure. you off, yeah, before I send you off, there is uh, one thing I all usually do with our guests is that I hand the mic over to you where I shut up. And this is your place to kind of promote, talk about anything that you want to give attention to uh, for our viewers and listeners out there. Yeah, if you're a game developer or you're interested in game development, my entire job is supporting you. So please look to the IGDA. You can find us on IGDA.org. We have so many resources and we're trying our best to support everyone through these times. If you'd like to sign up to be an IGDA member, it's only $60 a year and you get access to all sorts of discounts and benefits and a wonderful community that is going to do everything it can to support each other through these times. Perfect. I know where my $60 is going. So everybody go over there, sign up and support the industry and uh, be informed. I think that's the most important thing that you can do right now. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. 
just uh, stay up to date to uh, what's going on and what's really going on. Uh, Renee, thank you for coming on and talking with us. And uh, see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody